once you break someone down, you know, they come into camp and generally they have probably low self-esteem and maybe they're bullied at school and maybe they have bad relationships with their parents who are always harping on them about their weight. On top of that, they're starved for affection and starved for acceptance. And now, on top of that whole mess, they know that no one will believe them. So it is ridiculously easy to take advantage of kids like that. Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome back to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything, and I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. Before we get started, a reminder... This podcast is for general education purposes, and we always suggest seeking appropriate treatment with licensed professionals accordingly. I also want to give a warning that the show this week will discuss triggering topics such as eating disorders, sexual assault, coercion with caretakers, addiction, self-harm, public humiliation, and weigh-ins. Sorry, not sorry for the pun, but the topics are heavy, so... The good news is that my guest today, Kelsey Snelling, and I have both made tremendous emotional progress and are happy adjusted adults, and we're going to share more on that. But first, let me welcome Kelsey to the show. Hello. Hello, Stacey. How are you? I am doing okay. I'm (laughs) getting over some COVID, as we all are. But yeah, other than that, I'm great. Well, I'm excited to talk to you. I appreciate you making the time and I know what that COVID brain fog is like. So hopefully (laughs) our very intense show will not be too much for you. Oh no, never. I want to share kind of how we met and a little bit more about you. And then I'm, I'm excited to learn more about your journey because that hasn't been part of our conversation so far. I first heard from you as it related to what we're going to call camp shame. And Your upcoming film is going to be titled Camp Shame as well. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Great. So Camp Shame is an upcoming film that explores the lucrative and exploitative world of an American tradition, Fat Camp. I'm kind of curious if it's only America that does it at this point. One of the, like, there's so much to discuss and dig into. When you were interviewing for your documentary, one of the subjects that you were talking to mentioned this very podcast, and we Mm -hmm. ended up connecting from there. So listeners, if you don't already know, I attended the infamous Camp Shame over two summers in the 90s, and ultimately this show is about much, much more than just fat camps. Really, it applies to all of our lives, dieting, especially with children, and the general demonization of food that leads to disordered eating, overeating, undereating. I myself learned bulimia at fat camp. Food became much more to me than nourishment and trying to put any sort of controls or shame on it was just a spiral for me, shaming and controlling me. So what I really needed and what Kelsey and I originally talked about was 
I really needed validation, therapy, love, support, different things that I was really trying to fill an emotional void with food at the time. And as we continue to talk, I realized how my personal experience with like foster kids in our home, both of the ones that we've had for a long time have actually had significant weight loss with us and naturally normalized to a healthy range. There was no dieting or, or really any discussion of food other than, yes, please eat that all the time. And that was not just about nourishment, but really about having food quality, having food security, and having emotional fulfillment and support in other ways in their life. And so we had over the course of this long phone interview for the documentary, I had kind of like these cathartic moments, I think for both of us, and we'll we'll get into oh, that yeah. later. But I think, you know, for me, for example, it's not a coincidence that I went on to author diet books and really, you know, get deep into that world. But now defy the social stigma of beauty by building a business as a loud and proud woman of size, if we're going to call it that, who can love the skin that I'm in because of who I am and how I feel inside and out. And that has been a journey. And through that journey, I've been really nervous to go on record and speak about that whole process, especially as I was younger, because I know that my parents had the best of intentions and I truly don't hold anything against them. And my mom listens to this show. I, my dad sometimes does. So I love you both. And I know that you love me and we're trying to help. And the goal of this show, if you, for example, have, you know, done a diet with your kids is not to shame them or, or shame you, but rather to share the truly ex- like traumatic experience that that was for me and for what Kelsey witnessed in her experiences so that we can do better going forward. That's really the only thing, right? Is learn from our lessons and move forward because the shame and the negativity doesn't do anybody any good. And I mean, the truth of the matter was at that time, I really did, of course, want to lose weight. I wanted to make my parents proud. I wanted to fit in with my peers. And so I was really hesitant to talk about all this, like, putting myself to blame, you know, as much as anybody else. And then this like incredible, crazy Bloomberg article came out about Camp Shame. And Kelsey, you sent it to me. And I, did. <laughs> and I think your exact email was you're not alone. Because I was hesitant to talk and to kind of go on record and be in your documentary and like all this kind of stuff and to share here on the podcast or social media or all this kind of stuff. So once I read that article, I realized how very not alone I am. And really, I think it was the impetus for me to be sharing a lot more loudly about the experiences that I've had, both as a child and as an adult with fat phobia and like weight bias and stigma and all this kind of stuff. It's It was three years ago when we originally spoke and Mm -hmm. I went back in preparation for this and looked at like the social media posts that I made and all that kind of stuff. And it really unearthed a lot for me. So first of all, thanks for just being my therapist in that interview session. Always. (laughs) But I think, you know, it's, it's been incredible for me to realize what that journey has been like. And I personally talk a lot about mental health here on the show. Because I now realize the harm that mental unwellness can cause on physical health. Um, Mm -hmm. And 
you know, kind of before we jump into the rest of everything, I did want to share some examples of this because not just this show, but in all of the mental health shows that I've been focused on lately, I really, I think that there is a disconnect with a lot of people. And I know it was for me to truly understand the impact that mental health has on our physical health. And I think we all kind of say, oh yeah, I'm fine. Mental health. Okay, whatever. But underlying that is, you know, so many things that are beneath the surface of traumas that we've had or, you know, societal standards that we're not meeting or expectations we put on ourselves that causes stress and trauma and things that we can look at the research, endless research. And I am going to put, we're going to have a lot of references. We'll put links in the show notes to things that cause physical health. So I'm going to, I'm going to just dive into that a little bit. And then Kelsey, I'm, I'm so excited to just kind of like kick off and go for this because it's going to be, like I said, heavy topic and we're expecting that it's going to be two parts. So buckle up listeners. Let's do it. Research shows that people with a mental health problem are more likely to have preventable physical health conditions such as heart disease. Our bodies and minds are not separate, so it's not surprising that mental ill health can affect your body. A common example is butterflies or the nauseous feeling you may experience in your stomach when you're nervous before a big event. Those sensations are just one example of how the mind can impact the gut. In fact, it's been found that chronic depression, stress, and or anxiety can actually change the physiology of the digestive tract, affecting the way it functions and, in some cases, intensifying pain and discomfort. When it comes to the health of your heart, there are a variety of factors that can increase your risk for disease, including high blood pressure, increased and sustained heart rate, as well as calcium buildup. All of these risk factors can impact mental health. For example, when you're in a state of stress, the body releases the hormone cortisol, which can cause a spike in your blood pressure and your heart rate. And over time, those high levels of stress or chronic depression, anxiety, or PTSD may increase your risk of developing heart disease. That's not even addressing how severely mental health impacts our sleep, which has been shown in research to be a bigger driver for our health than even what we eat. Chronic stress and depression can affect your ability to get sound sleep, which then amplifies symptoms related to stress, anxiety, and depression, and in turn, make it even more difficult to fall asleep and stay asleep. The cycle is endless and has huge health impacts because mental health has such an extensive impact on the entire body. It's been found that severe and chronic mental health issues can actually decrease overall life expectancy. This is due to the fact that mental illness can impact everything from immune health to resilience through chronic health conditions and beyond. So I bring all of this up because one of the first things I always see and hear is but your health when you're weight when when you're talking about weight. And so we're going to be talking about a lot of mental health things that come out of weight loss for kids. And I want you to consider all of this is known to affect people who are mentally unwell, yet we jump to let's put someone on a diet if they're using food for emotional support rather than a lot of children need someone to ask them 
what's going on and get some therapeutic help or perhaps medicine. So again, we're not doctors, but I want to remind you when you're thinking of weight as it relates to health, that there's a lot more that affects our health that I think society has not caught up yet. I think we're, we're making progress, but we haven't caught up yet to how that works. So Kelsey, maybe you can share more about your personal experience. And I'd love to hear too, what brought you to work on the documentary Camp Shame. For sure. By the way, I was nodding so hard to everything that you just said. I was trying to not like <laughs> butt in with like amens, but that's what I was thinking. So yes, I'm working on a documentary about Camp Shane. And the funny thing about Camp Shane, as I think everyone has heard at this point, it sounds eerily similar to Camp Shame with an M, which is the title of the documentary that I've been working on for a few years now. So I'm a filmmaker and I also work a lot with kids. I've had kind of these two parallel careers for quite some time. So I've lived all over the country and I've worked in reality TV, daytime TV, on film sets. I've done all kinds of gigs as far as like I've worked in production. So like as a producer or with producers to manage the logistics of a film set, I've worked in the art department on movies. I've worked in casting, videography, lots of things. And then kind of in between those gigs, I've always folded my time doing nannying or babysitting or being a camp counselor. I was a camp counselor at Camp Shane back in 2011 when I was still in college. And so all of those things together, along with this lifelong passion that I've had for dismantling diet culture, it all kind of comes together in this one project. And like I said, I've been working on it for a few years and it's very slow going. A documentary takes a very long time to produce, especially when you're doing it independently. But I would say in the last couple of years, I've really had a lot of momentum and we're like really starting to move with it. Can you share a little bit more about what your specific goal with the documentary? Like, did you have an original thought process going in and then kind of the course of having interviews with people and working on the production over the last few years, how did the direction of where it is going come in for you? Yeah, that's such a good question. So when I was a counselor there, like I said, this was over 10 years ago and pretty much as soon as my summer ended I knew that I had to tell someone about this place and I had to do it in a really big way because I'm sure as we'll get into, Camp Shane was not at all what I expected it was going to be going into it. So for a long time, I've actually been trying to do some sort of film project about it. And for me, I mean, film is a really great form of expression because it forces people to see what you see. And I really felt like when I got out of camp and I was going and I was telling everyone about this place, they were like, wow, that's crazy. And then they would forget about it and they would move on. And I felt like people weren't really getting it and they weren't really understanding like how serious of a situation this whole thing was. So Many times over the last 10 or 11 years, I've tried to start a project. I've tried to do interviews in the beginning. I mean, I was super young. I was just out of college. I had no money. So I was trying to film and direct and do the lighting and do the sound all by myself. And the footage just looked like trash. 
So I kind of set the project down and I was like, this is too much for me. It's not meant to be. And then I would hear like some terrible ad on the radio for like a weight loss shake and it would completely trigger me. And I would actually have like a physical reaction. Like my heart would start racing. I would just have like crazy amounts of adrenaline in my body for literally weeks at a time. I wouldn't sleep for weeks at a time. And I'd be like, okay, I, there's still something there. I, I feel like my body is telling me like, I still need to make this project. And it was kind of a cycle for a while where then, you know, I'd try to go film a few more interviews and the footage would still be garbage. And maybe this time I hired a friend to help me, but it like still wasn't good enough. And then I set the project down again. And then I'd go on Facebook and I'd see a former camper posting something about how they were upset because they'd gained weight. And I would just get upset all over again. And so it was kind of this cycle for many years up until 2019 when I was finally like, listen, I am committing to this. I do not care how deeply I go into debt. And I started flying around the country and filming interviews and doing it correctly with the correct gear and the correct crew. And of course, 2020 happens and it's been a big mess for the last couple of years. But I would say since 2019 is when I've like really had this momentum and I've been very serious about doing this project. And it's been super cathartic for me because for such a long time, I felt like I was crazy and I felt like I was overreacting. And thank God I journal compulsively because if I didn't have all these diary entries to remind me of what a horrible experience I had, I don't think, like, I feel like I, I was kind of like gaslighting myself over the years and trying to convince myself that it wasn't really that bad. It couldn't have been that bad. And so talking to all these different people from like all different years. So Camp Shane was an operation for over 50 years. It opened in the late sixties. And so I was able to talk to people who spanned the decades and not only did it validate my own experiences, but I learned throughout the process that things are actually a lot worse than I originally thought just through my own limited perspective. So, you know, from my own experience, I knew that camp was putting kids at war with their bodies, which is just criminal to me, but there are even more horrific things that I found out about. And actually Stacy, something that you said to me years ago, oh my God, when we first had our phone interview, when we first connected, something that you said, like really, really helped me with the direction of the film because for a long time, I was like, man, there are all these horrible things happening at camp. And then there's all this diet culture stuff. And it's all related and it's all connected. But I like couldn't really figure out how to articulate that. And then I'm sure we'll get into this. You told me a story about how you got really sick at camp and how you weren't believed because nobody ever believes the fat kid. And I was like, oh, my God. Like yeah, fat people are not believed. If it's physical pain, if it's in a medical setting, like we hear about this all the time, people are told that they're just lazy and they need to push through. Or if they do have a serious medical condition, they're told, oh, you need to lose weight. That's your problem. And it's dismissed. And if it's a matter of sexual abuse, oh, you're fat. You can't be sexually desirable. Dismissed. If it's a matter of emotional pain, you're fat. You did this to yourself. 
dismissed. It's like just the discrediting of fat people and people in fat bodies and how, how they're not taken seriously in any field or setting. That's how places like Camp Shane get away with this crap. And it just, it all clicked for me. And then I kind of started to think about this other layer of how once you break someone down, you know, they come into camp and generally they have probably low self-esteem and maybe they're bullied at school and maybe they have bad relationships with their parents who are always harping on them about their weight. On top of that, they're starved for affection and starved for acceptance. And now on top of that whole mess, they know that no one will believe them. So it is ridiculously easy to take advantage of kids like that. So the stories that I have heard, I mean, are just terrible. There's medical neglect, sexual abuse, financial abuse, like all kinds of bizarre things going on at camp. And no one is going to believe that anything is wrong because to quote one of my subjects, Mark, hey, Mark, he said when I interviewed him on, him on camera, he said, they see a bunch of kids who go in heavy and they come out thin and they're not asking any other questions. And I was like, damn, Mark, that's good because, you know, adults feel like nothing can be wrong. These kids must be making up these horror stories because, look, they're losing weight and it's working and therefore they're exaggerating and nothing can be wrong. So there are very dark things that I've come to discover. And just little disclaimer, when, when you make a documentary and you release it and you distribute it, you have lawyers look through it. You have fact checkers look through it. I have not gotten to that point yet. So all of this is things that I've been told. I haven't triangulated all of this. I, have, I haven't done all the fact checking yet. So just little disclaimer there. But this, you know, I've done hundreds of interviews and people seem to tell me the same things over and over again. And the thing that's like, I think so interesting and also so heartbreaking is that although all of this was going on, you know, people still see this place as a haven and as a home and as this magical place. And I get it because I was there, you know, there's kids having their first kiss. They're feeling accepted for the first time. You can play soccer without a shirt. You can swim and not worry about being the biggest kid at the pool. And so that whole conflict is super dynamic. And like I said, so heartbreaking because it just had such great potential. So there's a lot going on within the documentary because Camp Shane was a really dynamic place and there was a lot going on at Camp Shane. There's a lot of mixed feelings about it. I think you painted a, a really great picture of the dichotomy of those feelings, both, you know, at camp in general and within the body of a bigger mm -hmm. person who has been sent to camp, right? And I think I really want to highlight like a lot of what you said and this idea that as someone who has been experiencing these things, sharing about that experience and trusting another person in your life to then do with that information the right thing is not mm. something that these children would do. And I think that's why the abuse was so rampant because in most situations, you know, something like that happens, someone's called out and it's 
hopefully resolved. I mean, I I don't know. I don't intimately know about camp situations in other environments, but I will say at the very least, I haven't heard those stories rampantly the way that I've heard them at fat camp. Right. And I think part of that is because I myself heard things like who would believe you as you alluded to, and then Mm -hmm. you don't do anything about it. And so Mm -hmm. it just gets worse and worse. And then as I got older or at the time, well, maybe it was worth it, right? Like this, this other, the other side of the coin is, but I got thin and therefore whatever negative effect from this camp I felt does not matter because I got Mm. thin and that's the ultimate Holy grail. So, and for me, I was, 12, 13 years old when I went. It's not like you, you know, I have a a great understanding of the world at that age and, Mm. you know, I'm not old enough to kind of like even have the wherewithal to properly perceive things. So like you, I, I gaslighted myself into different experiences that I've had and was that real and did 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 this actually happen or you know if it did happen was it really as bad as I thought it was all that stuff and so reading that Bloomberg article was like reading my own story through other people's voices and I was like wow I truly did not realize that my own lived experience was a common one so I do I think maybe it would be helpful if I kind of like painted a picture of what that was like for me, because you've done such a good job of, of like overall, but I do think that personalizing things for people helps moving on from, yeah, that's awful. Okay. Something else, right? Like, Mm -hmm. okay. So it was the, this, I know at least one of the summers was the summer that Alanis Morissette blew up and Thumb and Louise (laughs) became super popular. So for perspective, that's how long it was. Almost 30 years ago. A lot of us don't want to believe that Alanis Morissette becoming famous was 30 years ago, but it was. And it was my first time away from home ever. My parents were separated. And so I would spend like summers with, you know, one parent versus the other or different things. But like, I had never been away from either of their homes. And it's, it's like an all summer camp. It's not like one to two weeks. I, I think you can opt into things like six, eight, 12 or something like that. But it's a really long time to go away, several states away from my parents, from my home. And because it was so far away for us, my parents didn't come for like visitation weekend either. Um, And we were really limited at camp to access and talking home. And this one, I think I I spoke with you about, and I just, I shake my head every time I think about this. And I, I think it is with intention that there is really the the thing that you can do is write letters. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. And if someone sends a package, it's confiscated before it's given to you to make sure that there's, you know, no food or anything like that in there. Mm-hmm. And kids would get like stuffed animals with snicker bars stuffed inside like who's the person that sends you to fat camp and then sends you a snicker anyway I don't I'm just moving on but I remember calling my mom from a payphone bank like (laughs) there was like a bank of payphones in the middle of the Mm -hmm. camp and just sobbing hysterically just not even being able to like get words out like (laughs) kind of thing and we couldn't even like have a conversation in the short amount of time that I did you know, was able to connect with her. And 
I think, you know, it was attributed to homesickness and that kind of stuff. And totally valid it was. But it was also a really traumatic experience overall. Yeah. The camp was structured a lot for our listeners to understand a lot like Biggest Loser. So if you've ever seen that, right, like you you weigh in to start and then you're given a lot of exercise all day long outside in the summer heat. And then you're fueled by foods that really looking back made absolutely no nutritional sense. Um, Zero. (laughs) Like, why would... French toast sticks? Like, what are we doing? I don't know. And I remember a baked potato plain, but smothered in cheese sauce. Like, what... (laughs) Why? Why was that the food of choice? I don't know. Oh, my God. And, the you know, the, the portions were such that you, you were in a huge caloric deficit and then mm-hmm. asked to do this extreme exercise that none of us had ever had that kind of, you know, physical demand before. Because who, unless right. you're like a professional athlete who is just exercising all day, every day. Yeah. And then after you eat, you would go up this very steep hill. It was intentional where they put the dining hall. And we all just felt physically ill after we ate, right? Like it it was the food quality was very low. And then we would go back up this hill. Like if you think about it for lunchtime, right? We'd been exercising. We go down this hill. We have this, you know, low quality food meal. And then we go back up the hill and we feel physically ill and that's why a lot of people were throwing up after they ate, I think, even before there was intention mm. to throw up food. Like, it just was mm-hmm. not a good combination. And then people realized, oh, if I just throw up my food, then my weigh-in will go better and I'll get praised and people will like me more. And so yeah. there was, like, at least in the cabins that I was in both summers rampant bulimia just you know like yeah. oh this is what we do not like it's not even like a, a negative thought process so mm-hmm. for sure our bodies were in shock from all of that and there were not trained health professionals at least that I knew mm. of that were on staff that knew about mental or physical wellness right like I think back to telling people that I was sick as we'll get into and like pe- people just not believing, not asking the right questions, just being like, nope, you need to keep going on kind of thing. Yeah. And I also just want to say that they do advertise and they have for many years on their website that there is a dietitian, that there is like a trainer, that there's a chef who comes up with all of these meal plans <laughs> and they lead you to believe in the very least that these people are all on site and none of that has ever been true. I think that there was one person with some sort of training or knowledge, the person that weighed us in, at least it Mm. felt that way. There was like a special cabin that felt like a medical doctor's office Uh where we would all strip down and weigh in front of each other in a public humiliation weigh in and be super competitive with one another about who lost more and who didn't, who needed to work harder, Mm. which is really the only thing I recall that person ever telling me those people there and definitely the counselors you were a counselor so I definitely want to hear your experience about this were not equipped to handle the social emotional and physical needs of 
the extremity that the children were going through at the time, which is why it manifested itself as trauma for so many of yeah. us. Uh, yeah. So I guess <laughs> I'm, I, I'm going to lightly just assume you did not have any sort of like trauma training, mental health <laughs> awareness going into camp preparation, right? Girl, no, <laughs> no, there was, it was like icebreakers. And then I remember like, we had to do this awful skit where some of the skinny counselors dressed as fat campers and like I, it, the, the trait, the whole like orientation process was bizarre, but no, there was no information about how to spot an eating disorder, how to talk to your kids about healthy habits. Like absolutely none of that. None of that. Mm -hmm. My eyes got really big when you talked about that. Okay. Just moving right along. Um, <laughs> So I think the the interesting thing for me, the more that I've learned about this and dug into the science and the research, is that what we know about the developing bodies of children and the way that their hormones are forming, the fact that there was no consideration for the hormone disruption from the extremities put on these young bodies, not taken mm. into consideration or monitored, is something that as someone who is now kind of a protector and thinking about these things is very concerning to me mm -hmm. because we know that what we're, what we're doing to young bodies when we starve them and put them through these extreme physical requirements and put them in a caloric deficit creates a hormone cycle that as an adult is something your body remembers and fears mm -hmm. and cycles around. And I, I Again, I want to emphasize, I don't, I, I know that the people who put me in camp had the best of intentions and did not mm -hmm. know that at the time. And so I don't say this with like, I feel like I just need to give my mom a hug right now and say, mom, it's okay. <laughs> and at the same time, I feel like had I not gone to fat camp at that developmental crux of an age, my body would not be stuck at a mm. weight set point driven to this constant fear that my hormones drive about starvation, right? Like mm -hmm. everything that I've read and, and read about makes it really clear from a scientific perspective that when you do these things to your body, your body learns that that can happen at any time. And when we go back to how our biology was originally developed, what that would mean in a caveman like world. Right. And so mm -hmm. it's protecting itself from that experience again, even 30 years later, I think. And, and it wasn't just these, you know, two years of fat camp for me, it was a lifetime of dieting for sure. So yeah, I think what's, what's interesting is that you know, at one point, one of those summers, I became very sick. I'm not sure, you know, what, what the trigger was. It could have just been that my body had a lot of stress on it and was like, mm, this is too much. You need to rest. Mm -hmm. And my bronchitis turned into walking pneumonia because I was not taken seriously. And despite, you know, asking to, you know, get seen or to have somebody look at me, I was not given that access for way too long. And so mm -hmm. 
by the time I was taken to a doctor's office, which is off campus and is like this really big deal. Like it's, and you have to partner with someone. I don't, I don't understand why you need to be in a doctor's (laughs) office with another person. That seems like a HIPAA violation to me, but you know, who knows? And by the time I saw a medical professional, like that bronchitis had turned into walking pneumonia. And I come back from the doctor's office being told she has fluid in her lungs, told to walk up the hill because they bring you back to the dining Uh hall in a golf cart. And it's like, go back up the hill to the infirmary. Like, okay. All right. And I ended up kind of cracking a rib in the infirmary and there's Mm. nothing there's nothing you can do about that you just it has to heal and it is what it is but I remember coughing in the infirmary and just being in the most insane pain so that kind of exactly (laughs) like I don't even know (laughs) we're we're gonna talk about what some other people were sent to the doctors for and different kinds of things with that experience I think ultimately in this like let me paint a picture for you the the kind of last thing that I want to wrap with is the idea that just like the biggest loser contestants after all of that these children are not set up for success back in the real world you cannot exercise 100% of the time you cannot keep yourself in that caloric deficit permanently. Mm. And I have to imagine that in the case of Camp Shame, they want you to return. It's incredibly Mm -hmm. lucrative, right? Like Mm -hmm. most children do not go just one summer. Most children go every summer or multiple summers at the very least. And so if that's the cycle and, you know, I've read other stories and I'm sure you've talked to people who basically like, well, I spent all my summer losing weight and then I would put that same weight back on maybe plus some the year after. Absolutely. And so then yeah. I'd go back to camp the next summer. And it, we know from research that that is terrible for your health and mm-hmm. you're losing muscle mass and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So I had a really hard time, as I mentioned talking about all of this or even organizing my thoughts on it and then you and I talked and it really was important for me and so Sarah and I dove into the science on this years ago after the WW is what they call themselves now I guess Weight Watchers kids program came out a few years ago And clearly it's become my passion because I've talked about it a lot on the show and it's, but I want to revisit my original thoughts as I first began thinking about this, because I think it's important for the context of we're going to jump into about this. Like this, this is where my mind originally was before I had kind of really thought through this stuff, processed some of the trauma and learned more about all of this. So mm-hmm. whether this is where someone is today or whether it's helpful to kind of reflect back on, one of the first things that I ever shared about this publicly was on Instagram. So I'm going to read this post and we'll put a link in the show notes. And then I know you have so much to talk about from your perspective, but I think <laughs> this will paint, a. hopefully this listeners has painted a, a good picture for you. So it wasn't until several of you asked my opinion on the new Weight Watchers program targeted to kids that I could really pull my thoughts together on quote unquote fat kids. The short answer, I'd rather my kids be overweight than struggle with the yo-yo dieting and emotional chaos of diet culture I've had my whole life. Losing and then gaining and losing weight repeatedly harms health often more so than just staying at the original heavier weight. Hormonal changes and muscle mass loss negate any temporary reduction for most people. 
As a child, I was chubby, and in my early teens, I went to fat camp, which all the kids called Camp Shame. It was there with black market Snickers and oatmeal cream pies sold by counselors when I asked, but what about the weigh-in? And that I learned the most unhealthy habits, physically and emotional, from food. For me, this led to bulimia, binge eating, and complete lack of self-worth. I'd come back from camp and people would be nicer, friendlier. Strangers would look at me in the eye and hold doors open for me. Boys were interested in me. Friends and family bragged about me and I was showered with compliments. I then realized how poorly I was treated before. Y'all, this is not okay. We cannot lead our children to believe that weight is a measure of their own worth. When we put pressure on our children to look a certain way, (laughs) I put a little pun in there. They learn that is what matters, not true health or happiness. Fat phobia drives us to focus on weight. And if we truly want to help kids, we need to build their confidence with self-esteem, teach them to love and cook with real food, celebrate body diversity, and be active with them. I'm a work in progress, too. I no longer make comments on people's weight, and I try not to focus on my own. Rather, if I prioritize my health and practice self-love, with self-respect, I know I'm actively being the best version of myself I can be. Weight loss did not bring long-term health or joy. May we all have the grace to respect our children for who they are, not what they look like. All right, Kelsey, I'm curious about your thoughts on that. I think you kind of referenced a little bit of this in our original interview, but I think, first of all, thank you for helping me get to this point because I don't, I, we were on that journey, but it wasn't, it really didn't come together for me until our interview. So, oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, girl, like how many people have gone through this before? I feel like something that's really kind of like humbled me and been helpful for me as an adult is being around children. I don't have my own children, but I am a nanny. And like I said, I've been a camp counselor And it's just so sad to become an adult and see these cycles of like insecurity happening in generations that come after you. And I think that really the best way to handle that, like you said, is to build confidence in other ways that are unrelated to the way that kids look. I mean, I have never been the prettiest or thinnest person in a room, but let me tell you, I am always the most confident person in the room because I was very lucky when I was a kid and my parents really emphasized intelligence and creativity and, you know, a nurturing spirit. And so no matter what I look like physically compared to other people around me, I always do have this inner confidence that I feel like a lot of people never get the chance to develop. So Uh, Yeah, taking kids and letting them know that they can be good at things and they can be happy and they're going to be okay no matter what they look like, if they're ugly, if they're cute, if they're fat or they're thin, whatever, you know, teach them, teach them how to go out on a limb and how to fail and how to do all of those things in a healthy way. And that's really what builds confidence. And I think too, that as an adult, being or at least pretending to be confident in front of kids is so key. Like I currently nanny two young preteen girls. And when I take them to the pool in the summer, 
you know, there are days when I want to cross my arms in front of my stomach or I want to wrap a towel around my butt. And when I'm with them, it's like, no, ma'am, I will not be doing that. I will be hanging out every which way. And I'm just going to pretend like it doesn't bother me and it doesn't matter because I think that kids need to see confidence in order to be able to emulate it. This podcast is sponsored by Vegamore. Get 20% off the hair growth brand I have been using, loving, and obsessed with for over a year now using code WHOLEVIEW. I hadn't been able to have healthy hair growth since I was postpartum with Wesley, who is 12 and a half years old. And with autoimmune disease and long haulers, my shedding was out of control. No matter what I tried, supplements, online techniques to protect hair, even other brands, nothing worked. I was starting to see thinning. I know I'm not alone. Hair loss happens from aging, from anxiety and lack of sleep, from nutrient deficiencies, and even prior hair care products or environmental stressors. So I did the research and found Vegamore with proven results, clinically tested to improve density and reduce shedding by 76%, with 91% of customers seeing visibly thicker hair in just three months. I can tell you, having used it for 15 months now, my hair has absolutely grown faster and fuller, and their holistic approach to hair health uses smart botanicals without the use of harmful chemicals and are cruelty-free. They smell so good, only using fruit oil, no synthetic fragrances. Seriously, Vegamore has transformed my hair, and they have something for everyone looking to improve their hair health, including a new Grow Ageless to help control grays. I use the Grow Revitalizing Shampoo and Conditioner Foundation Set, which also includes the Clarifying Serum. I love that it helps improve scalp health by removing buildup from dry shampoo. I put all my favorites for you at vegamore.com slash wholeview, and there is no risk when trying because they have a 90-day money-back guarantee. Get the hair that you have always wanted with Vegamore. Go to vegamore.com slash wholeview and use code WHOLEVIEW to save 20% on your first order. They also have discounted subscription options that you can change at any time, which is what I do. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R dot com slash WholeView, code WholeView to save 20% at vegamore.com slash WholeView. This summer, my favorite Better Beauty brand, Beauty Counter, is offering 30% off with code CLEANFORALL30. Simply choose Stacy Toth at checkout to support the show and get a special thank you from me. I love to follow up and make sure that you're happy. And as a bonus, right now through August 14th, 2022, they're also offering free shipping on orders over $50 or more. So go double up on those savings. And if you need help navigating your own unique skin needs, what is a skin regimen? Why is one needed? Which products work best for you and how do you even use them? I just launched a free skincare guide that I will personally customize for you. Just email me, stacy at realeverything.com with the subject skin guide to get yours. I know what it's like to not even know if you have dry or oily skin. <laughs> I was there. And after years of research and trials with clients, I'd love to help you love the skin you're in by switching to Safer. 
Beauty Counter tests every batch and they use sustainable and fair trade ingredients like palm, vanilla, and mica. Their packaging is sustainable and you'll be supporting my woman-owned small business and voting with your wallet by choosing a certified B Corp whose mission is to get safer products into the hands of everyone through health protective laws and get yourself savings with 30% off with code CLEANFORALL30. Go to beautycounter.com slash Toth and choose me, Stacy with no E, T-O-T-H at checkout. With their 60-day, no questions asked return policy, what have you got to lose? Shop beautycounter.com slash Toth, just like any other website, and choose me, S-T-A-C-Y-T-O-T-H at checkout to use code CLEANFORALL30 for 30% off your order. Okay, so you mentioned you were a camp counselor at Camp Shane, and you're also talking mm-hmm. about this confidence that you have in yourself. So, of course, this leads me to ask, why Why would you want to be a camp counselor there? What brought you to Camp Shane? Let me start here. My sister, I worked at camp with my sister. She's three years older than me. So at the time, she was just out of college. I was a junior in college. And she is, like, the queen of, like, random things like she she has whatever the opposite of imposter syndrome is that's what my sister has so she will find things that she is totally unqualified for she will find the most random gigs and she'll just be like yeah let's do it let's go for it so she found camp shane doing like a google search one night and she was like this looks cool look at the website you know there's like there's paintball there's boats there's, I swear they had like horses at some point on this website. There were like all kinds of crazy activities, ropes, courses, whatever. And she was like, you know, we don't really know much about fitness, but like, why not? We don't know anything about nutrition, but we could be camp counselors. Let's do it. So with blind confidence, we applied to work at Camp Shane together And surprise, we both got hired. And, you know, like I said, we went into it just thinking this was going to be such a blast. My whole goal was the whole confidence thing. I was like, I'm going to get matched up with a bunk of girls and I'm going to teach them how to be confident in their bodies. And I'm going to teach them how to love movement because I've always been into like backpacking and hiking and dancing. And I love moving and movement. So we went into it thinking like, this is kind of going to be like, almost like a heavyweight sort of thing. Like the kids are going to be crazy, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And we just thought, what a great way to spend the summer. I mean, I was in film school at the time. All my friends were doing these like boring internships at like the New York Times. And I was like, no, no, I'm going to go in the woods. I'm going to spend a summer at Fat Camp. So we get there. Well, the way that it works when you are staff is you can be hired as an activity counselor or a general cabin counselor. So my sister was a general cabin counselor. That means she was in charge of a bunk of girls. I was hired as the arts and crafts specialist, which means I was the arts and crafts teacher. And then when I wasn't doing arts and crafts, I was assisting my general cabin counselor with my girls who were 13. And so all of the specialist counselors had to show up at camp. I swear it was like 10 days early. It was like ridiculously early before the camp season started. And we kind of all showed up 
in pods. First, it was like the ropes course kids and then the sports kids and then the arts and crafts kids. And then the end of orientation was when all of the general cabin counselors showed up. So I get there before my sister does. And all we did for like five days was just clean. Like I, so I had this adorable little cabin back in the woods where I had my little art studio and I show up and there's just, it's just like filled with trash. Like I remember just digging through like old bottles of glue that were empty, but like filled with dead moths and like caterpillars. And there was just, there were old projects from like years before. And it was so disgusting actually that I stopped biting my nails that summer. I had been a nail biter since kindergarten. I would bite my nails on the New York subway I would bite my nails in the middle of the woods on a hike. Like germs did not affect me until the summer of 2011. And I was like, absolutely not. This is so filthy. So we're cleaning camp for like a full week. Eventually the cabin counselors arrive and they're in charge of cleaning the bunks and dragging mattresses back and forth and nothing was set up. Like I mentioned earlier, there wasn't really a lot of orientation. I think we did like a couple of like role play, like let's do a skit about bullying type things. But there was nothing that prepared us for anything specific related to a weight loss camp. We learned nothing about nutrition. We learned nothing about diabetes. We learned nothing about heart health or what might motivate or demotivate kids who are overweight. I mean, there was just, there was nothing. So... The first day of camp, I remember very vividly because it was my 21st birthday. So my little 13-year-old campers show up with their parents, and I remember it was raining, and the roof of my cabin was leaking. And in fact, that cabin was condemned midway through the summer, and we were all reshuffled into different cabins, which was not uncommon. And I remember just being so pissed because... Not only did I not get to have my first alcoholic beverage at age 21, because of course I'm at a camp, but I also didn't get any cake because I was at fat camp. It was so upsetting to me. So all the campers arrive and they're showing up one by one. And me and my co-counselor, Kristen and Amanda, we're trying to be like as high energy as we can because the kids that are coming in are like not excited. And not only are they not excited, some of them are very upset, which was something that I did not expect. Because again, I'm thinking of the website. I'm thinking of the paintball. I'm thinking of the horseback riding. And these kids are showing up looking like they're being sentenced to death. And I distinctly remember one camper. She showed up with her mom and she was sobbing and she was hyperventilating and it turns out she was actually having a panic attack. And so her mom stayed with her for a little bit, but then was like, girl, I got to go. Like, the, I'll see you at the end of the summer. And her mom leaves. And I'm trying to calm this girl down. And I'm trying to console her. And I'm like, don't be upset. It's going to be the best summer. Think about the paintball. Think about all the friends you're going to make. Think about the bonfires. And she finally calms down for like, just a second. And she's like, you don't understand. Like, this isn't my first summer. And I was like, oh, 
I was humbled. Like this girl knows more than me. And of course, as the summer continued, I started to feel immense guilt about those early interactions with campers where I'm promising them that everything's going to be okay. As this like 21 year old with no training who doesn't have any idea what I'm getting into. So that was my first, that was my first week at camp. I am fascinated at the idea of you thinking that it was going to be great. Cause I remember watching a videotape when I, you know, was the idea was proposed to me. It was going to happen, mm-hmm. right? But it was like proposed yeah. to me as a positive thing and watching a videotape and it being all the positive things like, you know, I've made so much friends and I had so much fun and we did all this, you know, cool stuff together. And I love, I was a Girl Scout and I loved camping. And so the cabins being kind of rustic appealed to me from that perspective. And Mm -hmm. then I remember the very first day sitting on the tennis courts. I don't know why that's where we were because it was ridiculously hot outside to Mm. just like, bake and sit on the tennis courts and be like shuffled into, I guess, different groups or whatever it was. Right. And I, I remember kind of being wherever I was and looking up as a younger, as a younger camper, right. There were a lot of older kids that were ahead of or in front of me or whatever. And everyone had stretch marks on the back of their knees and that, which was like at my eye level. Hmm. And it's one of those like vivid memories that I have of just like, on one hand, I was thinking, oh, I'm not alone. Other people have stretch marks, too, because I, I had stretch marks that I was trying to hide as I was, you know, going through my growth spurt and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But then at the same time being like, oh, we're all gross. We're all disgusting. We're all mm. blah, blah, blah. And, and this place is going to fix it. Right. Mm. And so like this this dichotomy of experiences. And it's it's interesting to hear from your perspective kind of you were also having that dichotomy of experience, right? Of like, it's fun, the paintball and whatever. But then also realizing that someone that's been before is having a panic attack about coming back and not wanting to, not wanting to stay and not wanting her mom to leave. So it sounds like we both, we both have our own traumas. I'm curious from your experiences in other interviews and in talking to other people, was there a general sense of that dichotomy and disconnect in terms of camp expectations versus the reality of a trauma that followed? Yes. I mean, first I'll just generally say it kind of seems like there are two umbrella experiences that happen at camp. And this is for campers and counselors. I feel like there are a lot of people who go as either a camper or a counselor, and they, you know, they're there because they want a boyfriend or they want to hook up or they want to meet friends and they kind of push everything else to the side. And they're like, yeah, the cabins are caving in on us and there's an open pit of sewage and none of the promised activities are here and we're being yelled at, even though we feel sick and we don't want to exercise anymore, but they're allowed, they're able rather, they're able to kind of like compartmentalize it and be like, overall camp was great because I met my husband there because I met my best friend there. And then there are other people, which is the camp that I'm in who are like, yeah, there were great things about camp, but I feel traumatized and there were a lot of things that did not need to happen the way that they happened. 
And for me, I mean, there were a lot of things that were very falsely advertised about the camp. And the thing too, is that people are spending, I mean, this isn't a Girl Scout camp. Like, yeah, the cabins are rustic, but also parents are spending $10,000 to send their kids to this very rustic camp. And like I said, just a lot of the things that were advertised were not true to the reality of the camp. So my own personal experience of camp was just kind of being let down over and over again. I mean, the food will start there. Not sufficient. Absolutely not sufficient. I remember at orientation one morning, they gave all the counselors a piece of bread for breakfast. And I remember trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. I was like, well, camp hasn't started yet. They'll step it up when the campers get here. Of course they didn't. The exercise was, exercise at camp often was, was punishment. I know when kids got in trouble, they had to run laps around the track. And I just always thought that that was so idiotic. We're trying to teach kids to love movement. And here you are making them run when it's a hundred degrees outside until they throw up because they did something bad. The exercise was excessive and it was unrealistic and it was not gradual. So as you kind of touched on, you have kids who maybe don't move a lot in everyday life and they're coming off of the school year where they probably have been sedentary for nine months. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, kid, you're 250 pounds. Why don't you run up and down this hill a hundred times? And it's very unsafe in many ways. So there was that. A lot of the kids were not heavy at all. And I don't know. It doesn't seem like this was super true back in like the 90s era, but toward the end of camp, I think as parents start to get a little more vain culturally and also as camp sort of throughout the years became a dumping ground for kids, parents just don't want to deal with their kids for the summer. So they send them to Camp Shane. A lot of my campers were not heavy at all. And I remember I had a camper who was, again, a 13-year-old girl. She had a brother who was also there. They were both like soccer stars in their hometown. They were very fit. And their mom told them, whoever loses the most weight this summer is going to get a shopping spree at the end of the summer. And that was very calm. The weigh-ins obviously were terrible. And I think that the worst thing as a staff member is just that there was no support. Like, you have to remember that the people running this camp are 18, 19, 20. I was like one of the older counselors at 21, a fresh 21. And there was just absolutely no support. So you get like a few days into the summer and kids are purging in that condemned cabin, actually, that I spoke of. Kids are cutting themselves. They're learning these habits from each other. Some kids are talking about suicide. I had a I think she was 10 or 11 year old girl in my art class who drew a picture of herself hanging and there was like blood everywhere. And there's just like nobody to tell. There are no adults or professionals on site to tell. Like, who am I going to report this to? I'm going to report it to my 22 year old, like group leader. What am I supposed to do? And when we would take things to head staff, you know, they they weren't of much help, frankly. They were like, oh, yeah, a lot of kids here have eating disorders. And that was it. There was no, there was just no assistance in any way. And because of this, people quit, like, daily. 
I want to say at the end of, of the summer, we had maybe like 30 staff tops. And in the beginning of the summer, we had over a hundred because I went through Facebook groups. I went through photos. I went through my journal. I made a list of everybody I could think of. And there were like three times as many people in the beginning of the summer. And these counselors, they would just get overwhelmed. They would leave in the evening for their night off and they would just never come back. They, there was no goodbye to the campers. There was no like two weeks notice. And David Ettenberg, the owner of the camp, never said a thing. He didn't call people to check in on them. He, it was just assumed that people would quit throughout the summer and that was it. And there was a constant reshuffling of kids and counselors because sometimes an entire cabin of staff would leave and then the kids had no staff. And it just, it was just awful. And I stayed until the end of the summer and my sister stayed until the end of the summer. And I think this is kind of where the trauma for me comes in. We stayed because we literally, we believed, and I still believe this, to be honest, that if I had left, there were campers that would have died. I truly believe that. A, a lot of the counselors who were there, like I said, they were teenagers and they were there to hook up and they were there for the drama and they were there to have a good time. And frankly, I don't blame them because we were getting paid like six cents an hour when you break it down. So you can't really hold them accountable. And then you have all these issues happening with the campers. And I just felt like there were maybe three or four staff who really grasped the severity of what was happening, who really grasped the stakes, who really understood what was going on at camp. And I knew that a lot of these kids didn't have adults to turn to. Their parents are at home calling them fat. There are no trustworthy adults at this camp. A lot of the counselors just didn't care. They're wrapped up in their own lives. So I, as much as I wanted to quit for my own well-being, I just felt like I couldn't. And then there was this night that a bunch of us went to the diner because when you got a night off, you would go into town, you would either go to the diner or you would go to McDonald's or you'd go to the Panda Parlor. It was an ice cream place and you would binge. And that's what all the staff did. So there was a night that I went with my sister, my coworker, Cole, who was on the video team, my coworker, Amy, who was a counselor I think there was another person. We sat down at the diner. We're eating our respective brownie sundaes. And we all just start sobbing at the same time. And my sister starts talking about how one of her campers was taking laxatives. And then Amy's telling me her camper was like trying to sneak an enema into camp and talking about how she hated her body. And then I start crying because one of my 13-year-old girls that evening ran into the cabin screaming, I want to cut myself, tried to run into the bathroom to grab razors. And again, it's like, oh, you're on your own. You're 21. You have no training. Deal with it. So we were just so overwhelmed and so broken. And the crazy thing is that night at the diner, that was week three out of 11. That was only week three. And actually Cole quit, I think, that night and never came back. So it was just this extremely tense environment all summer. The stakes could not be higher. And you have absolutely no power, no support. And so, of course, you know, you're going to be 
a little traumatized by that. And I remember when I got home at the end of the summer, my mom told me, she gave me some news. The news was that while I had been gone at camp, there was a girl that I had gone to high school with who had died and she had OD'd on drugs. And normally that would have really very much devastated me. I'm an extremely highly emotional person and I would have cried and I would have been upset and I would have journaled about it. And I just had no reaction. My heart rate didn't change. I didn't feel my face getting hot. I didn't feel tears coming on. And I thought maybe I'm just in shock. And I waited a few days and nothing happens. And then a few days later, I went back to college for my senior year. And of course I got there a few days before classes started and it's my senior year. So people want to meet up. They want to go to the bars. I'm finally 21. People want to have barbecues. And I don't think I've actually ever, like, I don't know if I've told anyone about this before, but I, I was unable to leave my apartment for, I don't even know how many weeks. Like I would only leave the apartment if it was dark out, if it was night. I just had this like constant overwhelming anxiety. And I, I felt like I couldn't be seen. I couldn't go in public. And that lasted at least through the rest of that school year. I mean, I remember several times walking to class or like walking to a friend's house and I would just be like silently crying for no reason. So I think for sure there was trauma there. And of course I, you know, I never saw any kind of therapy or anything. Um, but I, I still think about that stuff sometimes, you know, all, I can't have been the only one. And I've talked to other counselors who did go to therapy after having been a counselor there. It's yeah. I, I think all of us campers and staff experience some level of trauma, unless you were just so unattached that you weren't paying attention. I think all of us have had some trauma. All right. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. I want to thank you for sharing your story and acknowledge that we, we have so much to actually discuss in the, in the findings. So we've each kind of like Mm -hmm. laid the groundwork for our experiences that led us here. And what I'd like to do listeners is we'll come back next week with part two and jump into the details of some of these like why is there trauma why would these people want to be cutting themselves or thinking about suicide and pull kind of all of it together from the you know the the bits and pieces of the diet talk and the lack of confidence and all of these kinds of things will will come together I think as we dive into camp Shane, in particular, having a myriad of problems that the Bloomberg article did a really great job of addressing beyond what Kelsey's focus is with the documentary, which is more on the the culture that it created and the effects that it had on the children and the counselors versus there were some really messed up dynamics at that camp in particular that led to some of the worst case scenarios that we're talking about here. So we will be back again next week to talk about that. And if you enjoyed this show that we create and produce ourselves, the Patreon is a great way to support the show. And Kelsey and I will 
figure out how to get onto the Patreon because we're going to jump into part two of the show right now. But I, I can assure you that it will be great. You can also support the show by leaving a review and hitting the follow or subscribe button in the podcast app that you're using so that others can find us too. And if you'd like to connect more with Kelsey or maybe you or someone you know has had an experience and wants to share for the documentary, you can reach her at KelseyAmeliaSnelling.com and we'll put the link and the, sh- and the spelling in the show notes. You can also go to fatcampdoc.org just like it sounds and learn more about the Camp Shame documentary. Kelsey is working on how that will come out, on what platform, with who, and all that kind of stuff. So you can definitely, do do you have like a newsletter list or something they can sign up for to be in the loop when it's ready? I don't. Right now, really, the only place to go for updates is the website. But I do want to say there's a couple of reasons that you might want to check out the website. One is, of course, if you have a story and you want to connect, I would love to talk to you. All Anything that you say to me is completely confidential. I can't actually use any of the material without a signed release form, so don't be afraid to reach out. The other reason you might want to reach out is if you have any videos or photos from your time, either at Camp Shane or at a different weight loss camp, I would love to talk to you about that. And both of the Instagram posts that I'm going to reference include photos from the camp. So if you're curious, you can check out the resources in the show notes for you at realeverything.com. And we put a link to those in there as well. Listeners, I want to thank you for your compassion and consideration in hearing us out today. I know what we're talking about is difficult to hear, especially as it relates to the well-being of children. And we appreciate your willingness to be open to change and be open to the idea of the harm that this can cause our future generations. No one is perfect, but in listening, learning, and unlearning, we can become better versions of ourselves. So thank you for being here, and we'll be back again next week. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.